All right, everybody, welcome to the Greg's Rocks Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com, as we are in for another episode of which there was no professional motorcycle racing over the weekend. But Jason Pridmore, you did what you normally do and you went to the racetrack, didn't you? Always, yeah. Like, been a been a busy week. It's um, kind of funny. I was talking to Michael Gilbert yesterday, and it's it's like one week has just been blending right into the next. We keep thinking we're going to have a little bit of time off and it just doesn't really work out that way. So, um, yeah, just been on it and I was gone for another five days last week. So you had a busy weekend and we have some things to talk about, obviously on this podcast supported by bike911.com, which by the way, if you need an attorney, if you need someone, as Jason pointed out last week to look at maybe a contract, for all of you, those of you who race and you have some contracts coming up for the 2022 season, need some general counsel advice, go to bike911.com. Alex Asante and his team, motorcycle riders, and Alex, a former racer, so he speaks your language, so go check it out. But Jay, in this one, obviously, we're going to talk about some Arai news. There's plenty to talk about there. MotoGP, we're going to preview the penultimate round of the season. And uh, hey, if you want to support the channel, patreon.com slash TV. We make an announcement about some content that we're going to be adding very soon that we like literally, Jason, you heard, we just got approval to post some stuff, which is good. Um, and uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm going to have some videos coming up. Uh, some, some of the Greg's ride of the races stuff up there. And then I'm going to do a series of stuff on my new Royal Enfield Himalayan going to be modifying the bike a little bit, but Jay, before we get into all this stuff, let's talk about your week. So Wednesday, you got to ride a superbike, and then you went to Chuckwalla for CVMA over the weekend. So what would you like to talk about first, race weekend <laughs> or your test? Well, it was Thursday I got to ride. Um, oh, Thursday, Thursday yeah. actually. Yeah, Thursday. And then I, I, I got up early Thursday morning and uh, drove out to Buttonwillow. It's about two and, two and a half hours from my house, let's say. And then I rode. Um, I really didn't think I was going to ride as much as I did, but I rode till about 3, 3.30, and then... Um, Hung out with the guys a little bit uh, with the attack crew, and then uh, and then I drove to Chuckwalla. Honestly, Greg, it's still it's funny. It, I'm still taking it in. I've I've wanted to do an Instagram post for the last six days, five days, and I don't even know where to start because it was that kind of uh, it was that kind of mind blowing and um, the things I went through on that day and learning well, let, as much start, as I learned. You know, let's start it through. I mean, let me just interview you. Okay, yeah, knowing about it, and maybe 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 that'll help, right? <laughs> I'm a little. No, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's start first and foremost about you. you go to Button Willow, and what were you there to do? Well, apparently, you know, and it was really funny because Josh Hayes and I have had some really great talks the last few days. In fact, probably the highlight of this for me was he had to drive back to San Diego that night. I had to drive to but uh, to Chuckwalla, and we were on the phone for two hours talking about the day. Um, Richard Stamboli. I have a, a a great relationship with him. Um, some what God, what is it now, Greg? Twenty years ago, um, yeah, we were able about, to put yeah. two thousand and one. Um, two thousand one was my first year riding for him. Two thousand one, and then oh, I yeah. rode with him in oh one, oh two, oh three, and um, basically, I was you know I, I I won a championship for him in oh two, and when that happened, kind of Suzuki was kind enough to me back then where. If there was a team I wanted to take money to, they would trust me. And as well as riders go as well. I could kind of choose a rider. And oh one, Richie Alexander was my teammate. Richie was hugely instrumental in putting the whole deal together with Stamboli. 
back at the time, you probably remember those days. Mm-hmm. Richie was hanging out with me, training with me, all that stuff. I had just come off of two years with Yosh. And um, we had put together a, a thing with, with Stan Boley. And um, yeah, and it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I was coming off a couple of rough years. And I got with Stan Boley. And I, I literally went out and um, I can't remember. I think I won Daytona that year on the 750 super sport bike. And then, then we had the extreme bike and I won on that thing as well at Sonoma. I think that was the second round of the year that year and just created this bond with him. And, um, and then for 2002, I'd been watching Josh. Josh had had a really good year and we had known each other a little bit. And so I told Suzuki, Hayes, he's talking about Josh Hayes. Yeah. I was going to say Josh Hayes need to get Josh Hayes on here. And for 02, <clears throat> Josh Hayes um, joined, and then he won the 750 Super Sport Championship for Attack that year. So the premise of this test was <clears throat> to put myself and Josh back on a current superbike, even though Josh is a lot more current than I am. Um, the idea was to put us both on current Attack Yamaha superbikes, uh, along with the current champion, Jake Gagne, who's just a Dude, guy's just a pleasure to be around. He's just, Jake's such a good guy, as you know. I know you're a huge fan of him, uh, as am I. Um, but that was kind of the premise of it, um, the three of us being on that bike together. And then Dunlop was doing a little bit of testing with Jake. Uh, and, of course, I asked Josh and I if we would be you know, kind enough to try some of the tires as well, which was which is a funny story in and of itself. And Cam Peterson was out there with us too. So there was just the four of us, four of us circulating around on, uh, on Thursday. For those people that don't know Button Willow Racetrack, can you describe it a little bit to us? Mm. Is it fast? Is it flowing? Is it tight? Is it, you know, what's yeah. the topography like? Yeah. Well, and by the way, Cam was on an M4 Suzuki. So that's mm-hmm. what, you know, uh, Chris Orch was out there with him uh, on the M4 bike. But uh, yeah, um, wow. It's pretty flat is Button Willow. It's flat. It's got a couple little uh, man-made undulations in it, but that's about it. Uh, so it's pretty flat. It's it's a little bit bumpy in spots. Um it's tight. And, and what I mean by tight is that it's the track isn't very wide. So it's for me, um, it's a place that I've ridden a lot, but mostly on, on stock street bikes. I did do a race there with AFM in 2008. So that's a long time ago as well. Um, but, but I've never really ridden a race bike around there until, until this. So this bike looked, you know, when I got there, Greg, it was amazing. I got there and I know you had a little part to do this. I hear, but I get there and, you know, Richard's got my numbers on the bike and numbers on the swing arm. And that was a really pleasant surprise. We were working right out of the garages there. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was nice. Cause I, I'd been talking to Josh Hayes, even on our drive out that morning, just kind of seeing where he was. He had to leave at like three 30 in the morning to get out there. So I definitely was a bit nervous, but, but Buttonwill is not a place that I've ridden a lot of fast bikes. So that definitely came into play for me that day. All right, so let's talk about um, your experience with a modern superbike in terms of what you used to race versus the way that they are now. I mean, what's yeah. the big deal? A motorcycle is a motorcycle is a motorcycle, right? But, but really, since you retired, and I'm doing air quotes because you retired from sprint racing, um, things have changed quite a bit. But yeah, so so talk to us really about just the overall conversations before you showed up and the communication you had with the team before you showed up and got to ride the bike about what your expectations were or what are the things that you were excited about trying? <laughs> well, the funny part was, is that Tony Romo came up to me. I think it was at Jersey or at, or at, 
maybe Barber, one of those two. I said, all right, so you're all set for the 28th, right? You're going to test tires for us. And I didn't know really what he was talking about um, because Richard hadn't really reached out to any of us, funny enough. I mean, I think Josh Hayes found out that he was coming to this like a week and a half prior. Um, and so, uh, you know, there wasn't like a, there wasn't like a big um, avenue of collected information that what we were going to do to start with. Um, I just figured I was going to get to go out there and spend some laps. And, but what it really turned into was all three of us had our own bikes. They're all the bikes that attack had, had ridden this year. All three of us uh, were going to get to ride on all the new Dunlop tires that Dunlop had come with for us to test. Um, which for me was pretty useless because I was so wrapped up in getting used to everything I had to do on this bike. It, it, it overwhelmed me a little bit. The bike did because of all the things I had to get used to, because like you said, I hadn't ridden really uh, anything like this for some time. Um, and so testing tires for Dunlops, I felt a bit useless for them. Uh, that said, I was able to give them a little bit of information that, that I felt was, was warranted. But um, when I got there, Greg, the, the, the first session out for me was just literally just kind of see what this thing's all about. And I caught myself, um, going, you know, I kind of getting up to speed. It was so easy to ride. The bike was so easy. I know you wrote it. You said the same thing to me, super smooth power band pulls all the way through all that kind of stuff, uh, whatever gear you're in. Um, but I, I found myself almost, almost getting a little bit dizzy, almost to the point where I needed to get my eyes up. All the things I tell people to do and teach people to do, I actually had to do myself because things were coming at me so much faster than what I was used to. Um, that it took me, it took me a couple of sessions. In fact, the second session I went out, I slowed myself down a little bit just to get my brain and my eyes oriented together, uh, because it was that big of a step for me. It really was. It was that big of a jump that I just needed to just, I wanted to maximize my time on the bike. Um, but I, but I had to actually slow myself down a little bit to kind of, to kind of get my day started, you know? So the first two sessions after, you know, you're, you're trying to get yourself sorted out, but what were your initial impressions on the things that stood out? Was it the power? Was it the handling? Was it the braking? What are the things that just kind of, yeah. or, or even more detail? It, it's, it's literally, it, it's all the above. The electronics on the bike were so, um, so user-friendly. So basically, you know, I'm sure when I came in, they, they knew all the things about, I hadn't ridden a bike like that in a while. Um, it was really like Richard and the team, uh, were super interested in what we all had to say about the bike. It wasn't like, it wasn't just like, Hey, come out and have fun. This was like, we want to know what you guys are really feeling. And, and for me, um, there was so much, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Greg? There were so many things that were going through my mind, um, and through my body at the same time. Now, the thing I'll tell you is the bike again was very, very smooth. Um, I had got a gearing chart from Darren Marshall of the gears that basically Gagne and Cameron had ridden around this track over the years. And it was very familiar to me because it's kind of the gears that I ride around there. But initially like going into the last corner at Button Willow's first gear on this bike, I'd get on the gas and the TC would kind of kick in. So I would kind of like half throttle it while the TC was on, even though I was opening the gas, I was very, very modulant <laughs> with how I was doing that. And my body was ready for the explosion of power and it wasn't really happening because of the TC. And so when I came back in after my first session, um, I told the guys, Richard told me Darren had seen that on the computer as well. Now keep in mind, Darren Marshall during this time, he's up in Nova Scotia and he's controlling all three of the bikes, which is just incredible. 
Mm-hmm. And well, to me it was because I kept on thinking. No, it's awesome. Plugged. They have a little network yeah. system. He gets as soon as they plug the bike in when you come in, yeah. he's got the data in front of him and he can change stuff. It's crazy. Change it. And so Richard had said to me, he's like, yeah, Darren saw that and we're going to fix that. And so it was good. The second time I went out, it was definitely better. Um, the big thing for me, Greg, I just, I just didn't want to screw the day up. You know, I think when you go into a day like this at my age, even you sit there and you think, you treat this for what it is. It's a fun day. The days of, you know, being ultra uber competitive and worrying about lap times and stuff is behind me. And so, so for me, this was a day about getting an opportunity that not most get. So I didn't want to screw that up, but the bike made it so easy to push that, that I just kind of kept finding myself chipping away at things. The electronics on the bike, they do so much for you. But what I found most interesting about the whole thing, Greg, was this. Uh, and the, you could probably ask me a million questions on this. If you look at a motorcycle from 20 years ago, uh, a superbike, you know, my last year of riding professional superbike was 06 for the Jordan team. Um, back then, it was much more mentally taxing because you knew that you could get away with certain things, but you knew that you couldn't get away with a lot of things. So there were things that you could and couldn't do. So mentally, you always had to be on this knife edge of of knowing that you had to be smooth with certain things coming off corners, especially. Obviously, electronics wasn't as advanced then as it as it is now. Um, and so, what I found was mentally, for me, once you gain some trust in the electronics, it then became a physical thing because before, where you couldn't override the bike back in the day without running some real risk of injury. Now you can override the bikes quite a bit more, I feel. So what that does is it adds a whole nother level of the physical aspect of things. So you can you can push yourself into these physical spots now that maybe you weren't able to do because you can ride so much harder that mm. now it makes it, for me, it would make it even more key, more important to be in the obviously the absolute best shape that you could possibly be in because the physical side of it, there were parts of me that hurt that never used to hurt me when I used to ride hard anyways, <laughs> that hurt me, you know, or I shouldn't say hurt me, but I could feel, you know, um, yeah. because, because you can ride this bike, you can ride this bike so much harder. So, so that was the hardest part for me to get used to was just the physical, the physicality part of riding the thing. Yeah. One, one thing that was interesting when I rode that bike, that you know, Darren and, and Stan Boley, just in the 10 laps that I did, we looked at the data really quickly and, Richard said, look, as the tire starts to spin, I can tell you feel it because now you're either not giving it more throttle or you're rolling off the throttle a little bit. He said, with the electronics, it's really key to ride into the electronics. So if you feel it start to work, give it more throttle. Let the bike do the work for you. And And, in 10 laps, I couldn't, there was no way I could wrap my head around it. But I, you know, I did, I did, there was a little bit of data that said that I used the TC and, and things like that. But so that was the thing that I found very interesting about it as well was like, oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta use it. You gotta get into it. You know, well, and- the, the Greg, I'll tell you the thing that was, again, another thing, there's so many things that I knew we would be able to talk about on this podcast, but you know, the, the other thing for me is when I rode, I'm very much a guy that loves to have a lot of RPM. You know, that, um, mm-hmm. about me in the sense that it's even the way I teach because a lot of times, especially back in the day, if you got in that torque curve on a big bike, um, and didn't just have all your faculties are working around you. If you were chasing somebody and you found yourself getting in the torque curve on the edge of the tire, the problem was, is when it would start to spin, sometimes that bike would spin and it would spin into the horsepower curve. And that's when you got yourself into a lot of trouble. Um, the bike would spin up really quickly and send you to the moon. 
Nowadays, you can ride these bikes in that torque curve range. So for argument's sake, for anybody that's been to Button Willow, uh, I used to go into the turn called Riverside there in third gear. And on the exit of that turn, I would short shift to fourth and rip through that little kink to the left afterwards. That's very, very fast. Well, now on these bikes, you can short shift up to fourth going into Riverside, but you're right in the middle of the power band um, going through going through Riverside. So the bike's not in, in, in any kind of peak RPM, which is kind of how I was raised to ride. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so this bike, but the, the control of the electronics are, Greg, exactly what you say. When you start to roll the gas on and you feel the bike moving a little bit, just a little bit, um, before for me, that was such a huge warning of like, hey, <laughs> don't, don't keep giving it more and more throttle. Now, to your point, you just, you just kind of keep giving it more throttle. That was the hardest thing for me to get used to. <clears throat> had there, had there been more turns where <clears throat> we could be in the, in the torque curve and open the throttle, it probably would have helped me some mm-hmm. because there was only really one corner like that there that, that was applicable for that. Um, everywhere else I started getting better at understanding that I could get into the electronics in second gear. And that was something that I think, you and I spoke about even back when I did that race in March with Corey and Michael for fun out at Chuckwalla. I noticed that they would, once the bike, once they opened the gas, they would hammer the throttle into the electronics. And that is very much what these younger riders have grown up getting used to. And for me, it's a little bit, I got to adapt to that. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, we did not make one change on the bike. Like legitimately, um, I had John Cornwall at, at my exposure, who was uh, awesome disposal. to work with. The disposal, sorry, yeah, who was great to to uh, to work with. I had Richard changing my tires, which was hilarious. <laughs> I took some photos of that. I did see a um, photo, yeah. And and so, you know, it was it was really really incredible being able to 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 have those guys around, and we ended up um, the the electronic side of things. I would get on the computer with Darren. And he would be able to show me certain things of where those guys were getting on the gas and how quick they opened the throttle compared to what I was doing it. And I kept getting better at that as the day wore on. Yeah, that's been interesting over the last 20 years of hearing about electronics, how things have really kind of changed in the conversation with electronics, Jay, which is, you know, before it was more um, reactive. Well, we have traction control because the rear wheel starts to spin. So we're going to take whatever fuel out of it. We're going to take a little bit of spark out of whatever it was to prevent, you know, the wheel from spinning traction control. Now, I think things have gotten to the point in talking with the electronics people that I do, including Stamboli, is that it's more preventative is now they're looking at more torque curves. How do we take torque out of this to prevent the spin from happening? So we don't even have to get to that point. And that's been... I think a big reason why tire management has started to become a little bit more, um, you know, like you see lap times now falling later in the race in Superbike because they're preventing the tire from spinning by using those torque maps. And so unless you grow up with it, unless you grow up in it, you know, like like you haven't because of this this last bit, that it does take a little bit of time. I mean, I'm going to skip forward here. I'm going to go back. But would you like any more time on this bike, Jay? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, and the thing is, is that is that. Everywhere that we were riding um, around the track, it was I, I there's so many things to, to talk about because I remember I remember when I was um, leaving the racetrack, Greg, and I and it came over me that every session that I rode that bike, and this is gonna sound bad, but 
literally every session that I rode the bike, it had my attention 100%. Like every single mm-hmm. thing. I didn't, I honestly didn't think about anything else the whole time that I was riding. That like literally the whole time I was riding, all I had was my attention on this motorcycle. And so what was great was um, I ended up thinking to myself, sometimes when I'm out riding, it's going to sound horrible. People are going to hate me. But sometimes when I'm out riding, whether it be at a track day or whatever, I I could be thinking about playing golf. I could be thinking about when we're doing the podcast. I could think about, I got, you know, when am I traveling? When am I going to get tires changed on my bike? Yeah, and I take a, a motorcycle speed, home. at a certain speed. At a certain, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. out there, you know, I'm, I'm out there in my, I'm thinking about some other things. It wasn't like that at Button Willow. And I remember just literally thinking when I was leaving the racetrack that this bike totally engulfed me with everything. And, and uh, I don't know if the words in a, it's, if it was, um, if it was, if I'm looking for um, the word emotions to be the right thing, but it, it, every, it literally captured everything about what I was trying to do that day. And, and it, it allowed me to kind of step back into a world that I haven't been in in a long time because as I became more comfortable on the bike, I started to push harder and harder. And um, the, the hardest part for me and probably the most depressing part for me was that obviously I'm not at the fitness that I, I, I should be, but I'm not at the fitness that I would have liked to have been mm-hmm. to be able to do more and more and more laps. Like the physicality part of the bike was, you know, four or five laps in, I'd start to feel myself fatigued. And the second that I thought that literally I would just shut it down. I wouldn't, and I'd do a couple extra laps because of the enjoyment of actually riding the motorcycle. But the second I started to feel a little bit tired, I was like, Hey, um, I'm stopping this because I don't want to do something silly. You know, I don't want to, there's no, I'm not, I'm not, not out there looking for lap times. I'm just, I want to enjoy the, the experience. All right. So God, I have so many questions, but let, let's go with this one. Mm-hmm. We have talked for years about electronics, the introduction of electronics, the advancements of electronics. We know that a couple of years ago in MotoGP, they started to kind of control the ECU, provide everybody with one ECU to try to take all that money being spent and some of the sophistication out of electronics. And of course, Valentino Rossi has been quoted lately as saying that was the turn of the M1 for him is when they switched to the CCU, things have gone south. But the debate has always been with a lot of older school people, turn the TC off, turn the electronics off, and let's see mm-hmm. who's an actual racer. Let's see how Mark Marquez does. But now mm-hmm. having ridden one of the most sophisticated bikes, and it legitimately is one of the most sophisticated electronics bikes on the planet at this point, is a Moto America Superbike. What is your feeling and your position on that? Has it changed at all? Can you see the benefit of electronics and you can now see where there are different skill sets that play yeah. out to make a champion or like, what's your point? What's your position? I mean, uh, before when we had no electronics, it really became down to the rider to be able to connect that throttle to the rear wheel. And and I think everybody was comfortable with that. And it's a great question because for years and Richard even brought this up because when, when Josh Hayes was testing and TC started to become a much bigger thing for him, um, Josh, it would be interesting to get him on here and really talk to him about that. I remember he used to call me from tests and say, I'm getting them to turn all this stuff off. And the development of <laughs> electronics for Yamaha for a while were in Josh Hayes's hands. And so basically what was happening is he's, he's basically saying, turn all the stuff off. I don't want it. Like I hate it, you know? And so when other riders would get on the bike, they, would try to almost develop the electronics that the so-called a rider didn't want. Right. So in that, in that case, Josh and I even talked at the test. I remember one day getting a very specific call from Josh 
when he was testing at Thunder Hill. And he said, he's like, Jay, I just literally got them to turn everything off. I can't stand it. It's too intrusive. It's this and that. Um, now though, Greg, when you look at it, um, it's so sophisticated and, and I got to bring another point up because I haven't ridden all the other super bikes. I haven't ridden the Westby bike. I haven't ridden the M4 bike or even the BMW or any, of that. I haven't ridden any of those, but I do know the guy that's behind the electronics on this bike. And what's what Richard has done is, is the bike is so refined and so easy to ride. I mean, like when I got there, I wasn't expecting to have to do a lot. I, I wasn't there to change the bike or make it adaptable to me. I knew that the bike was going to be more than what I probably could handle anyways. And dude, it was so simple. And that was almost a mind screw in itself because it was so simple. I kept on thinking to myself, when's it going to go bad? Because I had bikes in the past that I used to ride that were so good that that were like, oh, can't crash this bike. It feels too comfortable. And this bike kind of gave me that same feeling. I'm a lot smarter than that now <laughs> to the point where, <laughs> you know, um, but, but the thing was, is that Stamboli is so sharp and the electronics on this bike are so incredible. The stuff that they have done to refine the bike, even to conserve tires and to do things like that, um, that I'm sure all the teams are doing. Um, the amount of horsepower, Greg, that the funny part was, is I did some roll-ons on it just from like mid RPMs and like third and fourth gear. And it just pulls like a horse. Like it just doesn't have, mm-hmm. it doesn't have an off thing. And he was asking me and Josh, he pulled us aside. He goes, are you guys short shifting it down the front straight away? Cause you guys can run this thing to, you know, to red line all the way through it, you know? And it's like, you know, I, I didn't know if I was, to be honest with you, I had to go out and, and really see because it sounds like it's wound up. So you're shifting it, but it still has, and it, but it just keeps pulling, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so some of that, but it, to get back to your question with the electronics, on that particular bike, they're so sophisticated that it, is, it you you wouldn't be able to ride that bike to the level that somebody like Gagne rides it without it for sure. It, it it just wouldn't happen. So let me let me take it back to the Hayes thing that you're talking about because during that time that you were speaking of, when Josh was kind of the the guy who was starting to lead you know the charge of of electronics and he wanted them off for years and barely any electronics. I used to talk about it in pit reports when I was a pit reporter. And I remember Josh coming to me one time and he said, Hey, look, um, the new Yamaha R1 actually comes with electronics on it. It comes with traction control. And so we've got to stop saying that I don't like using electronics yeah. because from a marketing standpoint, it's not helping Yamaha. So he Correct. said, I'm, I still have them off. I'm getting used to them, but I'm, 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 you know, it's kind of in the background, but we've got to change the talking point to that. And I thought, you know what? It's fair. I talked about it. Everybody at that point kind of knew that Josh didn't really want the electronic aids and wanted to ride, you know, using throttle management, which is built into his wrist. But I always thought that that was kind of funny. And so then I was just like, all right, you know, fair enough. Let's just go ahead and change the topic. But um, with this test, Jason, and you talking about all the things that you were thinking about on the racetrack and how you were hyper-focused, let's mm-hmm. talk about that. How many things were going through your mind? Were you thinking about how useful is this going to be in next year's broadcast, it being in the yeah. booth and commentating? Yeah. Were you thinking about how do I lean into the electronics? Were you thinking about those things like, I don't want to crash this motorcycle? Like, how many of those things? And honestly, Jason, were you thinking about Button Willow, the fact that you hadn't spun a lot of laps there? You know, what what are some of the things that were going through your mind during that whole that whole run? Well, well yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reason why Richard did this was brilliant because it was – it was kind of like get the band back together. It was really funny because I saw that, you know, Moto America made a couple posts and like 
people were hating on this thing, which cracked me up because like everybody like, thought ow. that they were doing Josh Heron bad or something. And, and at the end of the day, this was just Richard getting some guys back together that he that he had respect for. We started together, you know. That's what this was all about. This has nothing to do with me and Josh coming back and writing for next year. It's it's silly little things. I mean, this was this was a fun day. That's how it was treated. Um, and and I think that if you know, for me, doing the job that you and I do now in the broadcast booth has really helped me to understand things a lot more. And so it's going to be able to broaden my questions to Cam Peterson or Matthew Skultz or some of those guys, because now it's going to take a little bit of what I learned this week, riding that bike on Thursday. Um, and it's going to be able to be applicable in the booth in the sense that I'll be able to discuss things that, that those guys are feeling maybe a little bit more now that I understand it a little bit better. Um, and seeing, I mean, great. The funny part was, even the breaking, I could be more violent with breaking. There was a place at, there was a place there where you go into the sweeper and Gagne was at like 10 bar of brake pressure. I was at three. I mean, mm. I was literally coasting off into there and skimming the brake lever and just back shifting a couple times and not trusting that I could break even harder. And that, I mean, I never thought about this bike backing in one time on me. So that, <laughs> that as soon as I started to, get to the brake markers a little bit more aggressive that changed that as well. But that was the physicality part that I talked about earlier. Uh, Josh had told me a couple of places where he was breaking too. And there was a couple of places that I could kind of get there. And then there was a couple of places or one specific spot where I was like, man, he is just breaking him and Jake both are breaking so much deeper than I am here. But that was more or less because I just, I just couldn't, mentally get myself to just hammer the lever the way I was. And the bike doesn't do anything. The bike just, it's so stable and it's just so, it's like they hit the setup for me perfectly. Almost. Um, they wanted to change a rear spring for me because they could see some things in the data that they thought it would help me because there was one or two spots that I was really kind of struggling and I didn't want to complain and didn't want to be that guy. And they're like, Jay, we can see it. Like, so, you know, Cornwall's there going, Oh, I'm going to change the spring. I'm like, John, listen, I got, so many other things going through my mind, please you don't have to worry about it. Like, I don't want to put you guys to work. Um, and so, and so for me, I wrote around a couple little things. I know those boys could have made better, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, Greg, I think that's going to help talking about things more. And, and when I go talk to Gagne um, or whoever's on the R ones for next year, uh, especially with attack, I'll, I'll be able to ask more poignant questions probably. And, and Jake mm -hmm. was great talking to Jake about things and understanding stuff, even talking with him. Um, yeah, he's, he's just such a good dude. It, it, he was able to even help me, you know, explain some things to me as well. Yeah. And we'll have him on the podcast. Yeah. I already reach out to him. We'll have him on the podcast, maybe next week or the week after. Um, mm -hmm. so what I'm curious about is let's talk about the racetrack itself. Obviously button Willow, you know, the track, you're not <laughs> yeah. super familiar with it, but do you think it was a benefit to you to, to have tested at button Willow or do you think that you would have gotten a little bit more out of the bike in terms of, you know, just like knowledge or thinking about it differently if you had done it at a place that you know, like the back of your hand, like a Chuck Walla? Oh, I don't think that matters so much. I know Button Willow really, really well. It's just I don't know it at those speeds, right? That was mm -hmm. the hard yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, on the Friday prior, I went out and rode with Wes Farnsworth, and I got to do a few laps on my own. And I noticed this little bit of – I pushed real hard just to see for a few laps, and I could see – I had this little problem where it was kind of overcast, dark skies, weird, windy. And 
I had this little problem where I, I, I don't want to use the word dizzy. I wasn't dizzy, but I was a little discombobulated for a second. And I noticed it. And I was like, like with oh, your eyes shaking, like the yeah, first couple laps I, at Daytona. You're like, if yeah, you're on a, remember yeah, just, the old pavement, the old banking, you get on there and you're just like, whoa, my eyes are dancing around. I can't. This focus. was, yeah, this was like from full throttle braking, looking through corners. Um, and I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Like, you know, is, is, is something happening to me? You know, is it finally happening where I'm not able to kind of keep up with this stuff? Cause that's been a big worry for me. Like anybody that knows me, I, I want to be relevant still in the world of riding. So I want to be able to still be able to push and ride to a certain level to where I can understand things. Cause I think it's important for the telecast for that. Also, it's super important for me to be able to come in to that booth and be relevant still. And so I worried for five days leading up to this thing with Richard. I was like, Oh man. And then when I went out in the first session, I had that feeling again. I'm like, Oh no, like, but mm. I actually controlled it. I actually controlled it. And that was good. Um, I don't think it would have mattered where I did it. I know button really button Willow really well. Obviously I know Chuck wall extremely well. It wouldn't have mattered, Greg. Um, I think for me, uh, this was uh, strictly the mind was the, the, the bike, the bike was just such a, it was so overwhelming, all the sensations. That's the word I'm looking for that were coming through me uh, with the motorcycle itself. That It was fun. It was exhilarating because it put me back in a place. Like I said, I haven't been in a long time. So so that was that was fun. Coming through those little last little S's uh, that, that end the lap there at Button Willow were so exhilarating. And I just found myself smiling. Like I, I was totally laughing at times just thinking about how much fun I was having. The bike that transitions really well. It was literally like I was coming off the racetrack. I was laughing because I, I don't think I was doing much of that when I was riding. I was pretty focused. Mm. Yeah. All right. And last question. That's optional. Yeah. yeah. The question that's burning everybody's britches right now. The yeah. conversation point that's going to people will talk about for uh, the year no, to come. I'm never, I'm never racing. <laughs> no, that, no, that's not it. Oh. What people want to know is how do you compare to Jake Gagne, how close were you on lap times? Because <laughs> I know that someone was there with a watch. It has an onboard lap timer. I know that. I saw it. Mm-hmm. I witnessed it. How close uh, were you? Do you want mm-hmm. to reveal that information? I know it's not important to you, but trust me, that's that's all any racer gives a shit about right now in the United States yeah. is, so yeah, Jason gave us his experience, and well, yeah. that's great, but uh, how fast was he? Because, yeah. disclaimer, I was 13 seconds a lap slower than Jake Gagne at Brainerd. So yeah. Jason, how close were you? Uh, well, you know, I chipped well, away everybody. So, so to Hayes, to, you know what I mean? Like to those people yeah, that Camp were there. Peterson and them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's really funny because I tell my students like, Oh my God. Don't matter. Like, and they Just, really don't. Uh, but yeah, no, they don't. Just, they don't. And for me that day they didn't. And I kept chipping away at the end of I it. Greg, I got, I got to two and a half seconds of Gagne, which I was, to be fair, was about a second and a half closer than I thought I would. I was over the moon about it because in, in Josh and I had a really great conversation about this because, you know, it, you know, when you see what Jake has done this year, <laughs> um, it's incredible. And I don't know how hard Jake was pushing either. The track definitely was dirtier than when I rode it on that Friday, which was a bit of a shame because well, we hold some, on a second. We had some I, rain come through, you know. Let me say this. Greg Arnold, who is the distributor for um What a great guy, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he's yeah. he's a really good guy. So, you know, he he brings in and distributes tire warmers, the same tire warmers that are used in, in MotoGP. 
uh, cap it tire warmers. Yeah, cap it tire warmers. Um, yeah, yep. He, he was like you- all day, like he was there all day helping me. He was he was great. Yeah, he's a good dude. But he told me when we got on the phone, he said that Jake Gagne was riding like a man possessed. He said, and he he Greg comes to a ton of races. I mean, he knows yeah, racing. Yeah. He's been at, at you know the side of the track and stuff. And he said Gagne was pushing. And yeah. so you know, no, he was. That, I mean, yeah. yeah, that that's why I'm saying to be two and a half seconds off of him, and how far off of like you know Cam Peterson and Hayes a second, second and a half. Something yeah, like I, was, that. I think I was 1.2 or 1.3. Cam and Cam and Josh did the exact same lap time. Yeah. So, um, I uh, I mean, dude, let's just face it. I mean, that's that's great. You know, we're not putting cues on. You're not putting. You yeah, know, yeah, no. Uh, you know, for you're me, great old man. You know, what I mean, like it's correct. pretty good. I am fat. I'm old. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Back in the day, you knew, and and, and Josh and I talked about this. Cam has so much confidence and faith in the electronics. Like it's Cam yeah, Josh. Uh, I'm sorry, Jake Gagne. Sorry, and 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 Cam Peters, uh, Cam Bobier back in the day because mm-hmm. we, we looked at. I, I was able to see some of the stuff that that Cam did too, or at least talk to Richard about some of that. So Cam Bobier and Jake Gagne on these bikes, they have so much faith in the electronics, and that's really attributed to how good the bikes are and how good Richard is. The team, the electronics, Darren Marshall, all the guys that are involved. Uh, have built this package to where it's just incredible. Um, the, the, the thing for me was chipping away at the electronics. The two and a half seconds, Greg, is I know it's there. But it, I shouldn't say I know it's there. Not for me personally. For anybody that could get there. Like if you look at Josh Hayes, he's still a pretty current guy, right? Like he's ridden the Westby bike, but he's not riding every single week. Um, like right. I am. I ride a lot. I ride probably more than, you know, you look at Josh Hayes, you look at Jake Zemke, even Chris Orch still rides a lot. Jeremy Toy, but they don't ride as much as I do. I still get a, I still get the opportunities to ride an incredible mm-hmm. amount. But two and a half seconds to me blew me away as well. Like I was, I was riding away. But that two and a half seconds, the physical nature that it would take to get to that two and a half seconds, and the mental stability that it would take to trust the electronics. I'll put it to you this way: I made a, I made a, uh, I made a point the other day that if if you took my father who won three AMA Superbike championships and you took him in, you know, he won 76, 77, 78. If you took him 16 years later, 18 years later, there is zero chance that he would have got within two and a half seconds of Matt Maladin. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I mean that not in a, in a, in a, in a bad way. I mean that the bikes in 96, 97, 98 weren't as advanced. Um, they, They were a lot better than the stuff that my dad rode but they were still pretty violent little weapons. You know what I mean? They still yes. weren't as user-friendly. So you take a guy who is off a bike for uh, – off a competitive superbike 16 years later, and that wouldn't have been possible. The reason why a lot of us now can ride to certain levels and the reason why you're seeing guys going into their 40s now and still being competitive racing motorcycles is because the electronics have allowed that to happen. Now mm-hmm. it's up to that person to keep their physical side of it up because I really do believe that it doesn't matter if you're, you know, I could see a Johnny Ray or any of these guys going well into their forties because the electronics on the bike take away some of that mental side and how safe our sport has got with the suits and the helmets and the things like that, that, that the kind of crashes that we see now, Greg are so much different than the kind of crashes that we saw 15, 16, 20 years ago. They're so much different. 
So some of that, you know, as a rider, when you get on, you're not going to pay the ultimate big price of high siding a motorcycle uh, as, as often as you see now. Now, guys, the, the kind of crashes that we see now are guys getting high sided off the inside of the bike because they're so violent with the throttle because they're allowed to be that if it does break loose and the electronics catch and it kind of kind of like what we saw Loris Bass do at the final round at Barber this year where he high sided off the inside of the bike and it took him to the inside part of the track. Mm-hmm. Um, those are going to be a little bit more kind of the crashes that you see now um, because if you're mentally capable of telling yourself that you're good enough and you keep the physical side of your body to a certain extent, like I really do believe that if I told Josh, I said, if somebody came and put half a million dollars in front of you, like you used to, uh, I said, I said, you'd be motivated to get yourself in the best shape possible because mentally he's still there. Mentally, he still feels like he could be the guy, but it would take every possible it would take him going back into full racer mode every single day and thinking about nothing but racing all the time. Moto in every day. Like he, he kind of does almost anyways, pedaling. I call, he calls me now. He calls me now while he's on a pedal. You know what I mean? Because it's <laughs> more to just, you know, he'll call me and go, Hey, I'm on a bicycle ride. I'm like, Hey Josh, you know, we'll talk for now. When he was training fully and being, you know, hard, hard, uh, at training, He's not calling you during during a, a bicycle ride. You no, know? he's hopping and puffing up a hill to try to Correct. get. Yeah, and he's charging because up he's a hill. Got, because you got to go against. I mean, the thing is, you're two and a half seconds off of Jake Kanye, but Jake Kanye does this for a living, right? Like that's right. like the, literally that's his office. You 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 got to guest ride in his cubicle, and of course he's going to be. He should be the fastest guy. Not to mention the fact that he was racing at another level, even beyond what Cameron Bobier was doing in 2020. You know, so yeah, that's, yeah. That's I, why I'm saying I think it's a better benchmark to go in a way to go off someone who's not Jake Gagne because he's, he's yeah, his own I, alien at this point. Yeah. And, and Greg, when I sit there and I go two and a half seconds, it's, it's probably morphed in my brain longer than it probably should have in the sense that like, you know, I, I have no fantasies about who I am or what I am these days. It's, 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 it was a tremendous experience that I would love to ride again. I'd love to do it again. I'd love to get back on it and, you know, like Richard told me, he's like, Jay, if you if you went home and you sat on it for a night, oh please, and came back, he's like, the things that they Day would two. make, the changes they would make, it would it yeah, it, because because my brain was just going so many directions. In fact, that morning I haven't been sleeping very well, as you know. And that morning when I drove out there, I was really tired. I was like, I almost thought about pulling over and having a quick little thirty minute sleep <laughs> on the side of the road there. The I was barber, so charged. The yeah. old barber to Chicago nap. Yes, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I I um I drove Chuck Walla that night. I had five hours, and I was so inundated with what went on that day in my brain that there was no way I was going to go to sleep. And then, of course, mm-hmm. me and Hayes got on the phone for two hours and just chatted for like, and it was awesome because you know I have a high level of respect for him um, as a writer and and getting to hear the things he talked to me about and the stuff he said and um, yeah, it was great. That my my one my two disappointments on the day. Uh, number one, there were no photographers out there, which was a shame because it had kind of been set up that way to have some out there. So that was a bummer. Uh, and my second one was I didn't get, to, none of us, Hayes and I talked about it. None of us rode together. None of us just went out and just did a couple. I would have just been, I would have just loved to do a couple laps behind Jake or a couple laps with Josh and just, just to, it would have helped me a lot to learn some stuff, you know? Um, I'm sure it was a quick like a quick it day. Went so sure fast. It, just, it, it was, started, then it just stopped. And you were like, what happened? It's it like, went so fast for me. And um, it's like, you know, it's funny, Jay, is when people that I know, you know, obviously we're friends with a lot of people that are younger than us. And yeah. when 
I talk to people that are about that age to get married, you know, have their wedding or whatever. And people say, oh, do you have any advice? And I'm like, yeah, take a breath. When you're in the middle of that day, it's going to go by so fast and you're not going to know what happened. And then the day's over and you're like, you're just going to be like, wow, I didn't ever take a chance to stop and appreciate it and then do these little things, you know? And and I I was kind of thinking the same thing, like that is... You getting to ride out? Like, how many sessions did you do? How many laps did you do? It doesn't I, even matter, right? It was like the like, whole day. I probably did like 60 laps total, I would guess. Um, probably. Uh, and no matter what, it's one lap, at least one fi- lap. 55 of those were with my tongue in the spokes, probably, you know? Um, <laughs> Licking no, the stem. The, the, the thing is, is I, did take, I did take the time to sit there at times and reflect back on where Richard had come from and where he is now. Um, and thinking to myself along the way, you know, like, I'm not really a guy that lives in the past. I'm not really the guy that tells all the old stories. And it's great hanging out with Hayes because he remembers so many of the old stories that I don't remember. Like, and then, and then as soon as he starts talking about them, I'll remember them, you know, Mm -hmm. he's, and, and it's, um, yeah, for me, it's, it was just an incredible day and it's a day that I would love to relive. Uh, it was a day that I, I thought, I think it would have been so neat if we could have, got a picture for Richard of the three of us going through a corner together somewhere. Uh, just so, you know, Richard could have had that on his wall somewhere. They, those are the things that I thought about after the test that I wish that we would have thought before. Um, and Dunlop were great. I mean, Tony Romo was there. Um, and it was great because they were, they were throwing tires. They threw a few tires at me that, that um, our development tires. And I felt like I cheated them because I was like, you guys, the tires are just one more thing that I'm thinking about today that that are they're just an extension of the motorcycle i knew that whatever i was going to be on was going to be amazing and i could tell the difference between what what i liked them and uh or the differences between the tires from one to the next um but but josh was josh was there and he was really grinding testing like he was doing some hard work gagne was there i think he was kind of half and half he was probably doing some things but um but for me i was i was just smiling and taking it all in it was a great day all right, so let's move off of that, um, yeah, let's and let's move on to Chuck Walla. How was the race weekend at CVMA? Great. Got out there I think Friday, second round of the season, right? Their second round season. of CVMA. Um, it, they are flying out there now, and when when you look at uh, when you look at the overall results, it was I think Michael Gilbert ended up winning that the shootout race over Corey Alexander and, and Andy Debrino, who came down from Oregon. And Andy, uh, he rode he rode amazing. Corey, I think, got him with two corners to go. Uh, but, but Greg, this will, this will, this will tell you, how, you know, I know you'll respect this track was being ran counterclockwise. Uh, Gilbert's fastest time was a 44.0. So, which is flying and mm-hmm. all of the top four or five, I think four guys were in the 44s and I've got to give a shout out to our boy, Ozzy Dave, because he prepped a bike on Thursday. He prepped a Kawasaki and and he got down in the 44s uh, as well. He actually got stuck behind a couple of guys at the beginning end of the race and started charging forward. But he hadn't really ridden anything but a superbike around that place. And I think he got down into the mid-43s on the superbike. And he ended up going like 44-3 or something on the stock 1,000. He ran down to Brino and Corey and was kind of there at the end of the race but couldn't do anything with him. So there's been some kind of fun banter about the old guys. And... <laughs> and uh, Corey Alexander said something about me being 60, which isn't quite the case yet. Um, and Ozzy Dave stuck up for me, which was good talking about, <laughs> Hey, there's a, 
there's a guy that's eligible of to, to go race formula 40 that, that passed you a couple times this week. So easy on the old jokes, you know, so <laughs> shout out to him. But I mean, Greg, the, the thing that's great about CVMA right now, it again, you know, I know people think it's because I'm out there a lot that I'm blowing it up. I'm not. The vibe out there is amazing. And I think Michael took home over $5,000 winning that race, um, on, on Sunday. So, uh, you know, there's a lightweight shootout that they're paying out. There's a, uh, middleweight shootout that they're paying out. We had a couple of guys, we had, uh, Thermiotis, Alessandro Thermiotis, and we had, um, Zaragoza out there, um, mixing it up. So a couple of our Moto America guys have come in. I know that's going to get more popular as we go into December, January, February, we'll probably start seeing more Moto America guys out there. Yeah, I but think so. Once people get contracts signed, once, once Christmas comes and goes and all that be, stuff. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, some guys are getting healthy right now and that kind of thing. So they've uh, they've developed a formula out there right now where, um, you know, it's great. They've put up some money for these riders to actually make a little bit of cash. And I, th- and I was thinking to myself, you know, going there in one race and making $5,000 is that's pretty good. That's a that's outstanding for yeah. a quote unquote club race. Ten lap I mean, race, really is. ten lap race. But by the and by the way, those guys are having to ride really, really, really hard. So no, CVMA was amazing. Perfect weather all weekend. The next round, Greg, is uh, December. So they skip November and they'll be there for okay. December. Yep. All yep. right. Well, that sounds good. All right. Um, since we're already deep into this podcast, yeah. thanks for yeah. sticking around and listening because right now it's time for news presented by Arai. Let's see. Let's talk about avoiding impact energy intrusion by glancing off surfaces and obstacles. That's a key role to an Arai helmet shell requiring a strong and smooth shell. Now for this purpose, Arai handcrafts each shell to be as strong and light as possible with a high fiber to resin ratio of proprietary superfiber and Z resins. However, this process leaves a rough surface initially, which requires many steps to prep it for a beautifully smooth finish without adding any extra weight. Even though it's invisible to you, those are details that protect your head. It's Arai's obsession. Check out AraiAmericas.com. Pick what you like. Head down to your local dealer for fitment and grab a new lid. It's Christmas time, people. Buy one for spouse. Go tell them to get a measurement around their <laughs> top of their forehead, right above their eye, eye. Yeah, right above your dome. Take the tape measure, wrap it right around top of your, uh, what do you call those things, eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Get the centimeters. Yeah, things. Go to the chart and get a helmet. All right. A lot to talk about here, Jay. So let's get right into it. Um, firstly, news broke early Tuesday morning. Mark Marquez will not participate in this weekend's MotoGP race. So if you have him in your fantasy, you better get him off. Chuck Axelon, I'm talking to you. But JP, Mark, he had a training crash and suffered a concussion last Saturday. And uh, he's, not as re- he's not recovering as quickly as he thought he would. So, you know, looking at Mark, dude, it's just been a crazy 18 months for the world champ, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it has been. And, you know, he's got the pace, obviously, to come back and win like he's shown already. So I think that this is the smart thing. And, Greg, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Even though we just got done talking about this, this really does – you think about how many times in the past we talked about this just the other day. Guys back in the day probably had concussions and rode the next day. Oh, yeah. And, again, again, with the physicality of riding these motorcycles and what I I felt – I actually I found myself asking myself questions that that now you, you're able to tax your body and put it to such another level that the concussion protocols that these guys are put in, um, and I think a lot of riders now know for themselves. I'm going to look at it completely different than I did 
prior to last Thursday because it's it's it is a thing where if you are not all mentally there, um, you, you you need to sit out. And so obviously he must have thumped his head and doesn't quite feel all there. And it's the best thing for him. And let's just face it, he's not in the championship hunt for anything like that. So it's not going to hurt him to sit out around and wait till Valencia if he can ride. I mean, you got to remember that's only a week later, isn't it? It is only a week later. And so, you know, I think some of the stuff he said, like a slight concussion or whatever, due to concussion's a concussion. So I think it's a smart thing to do. Hopefully it, it's a decision that Mark ended up making in conjunction with his doctors and looking to the long term because Mark's been around already quite a long time. He's won a he lot has, of things, he's he won a lot of money. And it's just you just kind of wonder in the back of your mind, is this just chipping away, you know, as we head closer to the R word? And the R word for him still might be 10 years down the road, but could in be. some way, these injuries and coming back and all these setbacks have got to wear on you some way or another. And at one point, the moment that he says, is this all worth it, is the door that, it, you know, is open for retirement. But anyway, we, we just wish him a speedy recovery. But if you're playing our fantasy league, don't forget. Well, you know what? Come to think about it. Why don't you go ahead, Jason? Why don't you get yeah, Marquez? Everybody team load up on Mark Marquez him. this week. He's going to kill it. Yeah. 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 He's going <laughs> to. Yeah. Brottle, maybe. On to some World Superbike stuff. World Supersport champ Dominic Agurter will stay with Tenkata for 2022 in World Supersport. Your thoughts on that? Did you think that, I mean, we kind of knew we'd, we'd heard rumors, but do you think that that guy deserves a bump into Superbike already? Or do you think it's uh, a good move for him to stay with the Tenkata team? This is where our boy Steve English comes into play because I'm sure he has some some words on some of this stuff. But it's a, it, I'm not going to say it's shocking that he's staying where he is because success breeds success. And he's already had that, so he can go there and try to become a double world super sport champion. Dominic Gertz has been around a lot of years. Let's not forget. And he almost was a double world champion this year. Had he won um, mm. Moto E. Should have so, been. Um, been. Uh, under controversy, uh, a lot of controversy there with him not actually collecting that. But when, you know, when you sit there and you think about it, uh, is he ready? Is he deserving? I think in a lot of people's mind, he's deserving to jump up to Superbike, And it kind of filters right into the next story that you, have in our news item and, and I, if you don't mind greg i'm going to blend these two together because go for it i saw no, this 100 you know because it was also announced that uh world super sport racer and former moto 3 and moto 2 guy philip odell is going to replace Chaz davis on the go 11 superbike team in 22 and 23 Chaz mm. of course, is retiring at the end of the season um you know odell's 25 years old has 11 11 podiums uh in super sport class now when you look at this greg this is what's interesting to me is is money the big factor because they've there's nothing that okay philip odell's been riding fine he's been doing great he's doing doing okay in in super sport is he is he doing well enough to warrant a ride on a bike that that just got done being put on the podium for the last two round or three rounds two rounds with with baz right not the last round obviously with Chaz, who's still coming back from some injuries so you sit there and you think Agurta was linked with, I think, possibly Honda. And we know that's not going to happen now. But man, this Go 11 team was also linked to go to Yamaha's um, with McKenzie, Tara McKenzie. And that is gone now. So then you start to think, well, if Tenkate was going to be a place for Taren to go to ride an R1 with with possibility, why aren't they putting Agurta on that bike? So where Tara McKenzie is going to end up, BSB champion, where he's going to end up, is unknown. It came a little bit of a shock to me to see Philip Odell get this right on go 11. And it's almost a little bit of a shame for a that he doesn't get to jump up. It's just a different way racing works in yep. Europe than it does in the United States. Yep. And the fact that 
you know, the story <laughs> is that Odell is bringing money to the table. He has you know? to be. And I, I mean, I guess it's he the would only have way to it be. works. Yeah. Because it's yeah, not it, like, um, you get a, it's, he's a German writer. I believe he's from Germany. So he's mm-hmm. a German writer. Um, that we don't have that. I don't think they have a lot of German writers in that series right, right. now. So, yeah. so, um, you know, does that have anything to do with it? We just don't know. We don't know. But, but Dominic Goethe is obviously a lot of talent. He, I mean, he's, Greg, the guy won the championship this year with a round to go, and he purposely set out a round to go chase the Moto E World Championship. Hey, so, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's which, all very, which he very won, in my opinion. But anyway, what's my yes. opinion? He won yeah. that, in my opinion. So, whatever. With you, yeah. um, on to some more news. Former Moto America race winner Valentin DeBees will race in World Superbike finale in Indonesia in a couple weeks' time aboard the GMT 94 Yamaha. The French Supersport champion has raced two. Sixth place finishes this season. It was in Argentina. Do you think that this World Super Sport ride on the GMT 94 Yamaha R6 is an audition for Valentin DeBees for 2022? What do you think? Yeah, because when you wrote this, I was a little confused. I'm like, did I miss something? Is he riding a superbike? Because GMT actually, um, you know, I mean, they're they're obviously very well vast in in, uh, in, in both bikes yeah. as well. But yeah, they've been they're in Super Sport. So yeah, he's you know we've. We've seen him do a few rounds already this year. That weird starting line accident that we saw him in mm-hmm. at Magni Court, his home race, sat him out for the Spanish rounds at Catalonia and um, Porta uh, and the Portugal round. No, oh, no, he sat out at Catalonia and Jerez and Portugal, so he missed those. <clears throat> um, he actually goes back and forth with me a little bit on Instagram. So, um, yeah, it's good that he's going to be able to go to Indonesia. I, I would you got to think that they're probably looking at him for next year. Clouzel's in great form right now, and Debise has done what he needed to do in France. And yep. a, a French rider on that team, I don't, you know, with Gio is is it seems like it could make sense. Yeah, and I like Valentin. He's a good dude. You know, the time when he stood on the podium in Moto America and said that Suzuki was shit, I was a big fan. He got us. He got a yeah. talking to, but it was pretty funny. It's I just think shit. it's funny. I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it got a little bit taken out of contents at Utah there. Like, it, it. I think he's, yeah, and I loved it though. I agree with you. I love that he wears his heart on his I sleeve. Do. I wish we had more of that stuff. Uh, in World Super Sport, stick with that. Ollie Bayless, son of three-time World Superbike champ Troy Bayless, will be racing World Super Sport on the Barney Ducati next season on the V2. Part of the rule changes for 2022, which we will talk more about on another show. I, I know last week I teased it, but we're going to push it off a little bit. I had some medical stuff. But Ollie's 18 years old, Jason. You know, scuttlebutt about this too. Like, what, what, what has he done? Blah, 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 blah. But what do you think about the excitement of having Ollie Bayless on the grid back in the World Superbike paddock? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think it's the really, Bayless really family, cool. I guess. And I think yeah. that, you know, um, he's been racing superbikes over in Oz. So, and he's already collected wins over there. So, when you look at it, um, oh God, it just seems like just yesterday, following Troy Bayless's Instagram, that Ollie was getting on like a, a junior cup bike. And just getting yeah. started, and now he's going to the world stage uh, to ride in the you know the new world super sport category. It's it's going to be nice. Um, I love the fact that we're kind of following the lines of um, their rules package too. And I know that, like you said, <clears throat> we're going to be able to get a couple people on here that are going to be able to explain those to us a lot better. But it's mm-hmm. cool because we're going to get to see all these different bikes on the grid. So I think it's kind of fun. And, uh, and you know, dad's going to be not be too far behind watching all the action and probably be at all the races. So that'll be a neat experience for Ollie to see his dad probably at the races. And, um, it'll be good for Troy to be back in the pack. Yeah. I'm excited about that. 
Uh, let's see. On to some Moto America stuff. N2 Racing has beefed up their 2022 roster. Junior Cup star Blake Davis will graduate to the Twins Cup class aboard a Yamaha R7. He will team with definitely one of our favorites, Kevin Almeida. Uh, that should be a fun team to watch, Jay. What do you think about the new right. N2 team coming at it? And Almeida right. going from Suzuki to Yamaha. Hey, how great is it that the N2 has put together a team like this? And I love the fact that Almeida is got a shot um, with a new team, new bike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Obviously, he had a really injury-riddled year with that shoulder. I saw on his Instagram that he was right, riding Supermoto just the other day. So he's, you know, this is going to be a shot in the arm for him as well. And as far as Blake Davis goes, I mean, he's one of our youngest riders in the category of Junior Cup. Remember, he just turned 14, I believe, last year in Atlanta. Not last year, but the year before in Atlanta. So he's he, he'll be, that would make him, I think, turning 16 in Atlanta mm-hmm. this year, if I'm not mistaken, two years on. So um, I find interesting, Greg, that there's, and this is probably for another podcast, but we're starting to see some of these kids get out of the Junior Cup category and go to other categories maybe a little earlier than we thought. And I don't know if that's for safety reasons or for for other things and, and bumping up a class. That Twins Cup class this year is going to be no joke in our series. There's going to be some – it already oh, was I, really, really good anyways, but now it's going to be even better. And I think what you're going to do is you're going to see some surprises as, the, as we get closer to the beginning yes. of the season. There's going to be more announcements about teams and riders going into Twins Cup. I mean, it is totally legit. And yeah. finally, congratulations to Moto America – as a series on the signing of a signing of a title sponsor, the Moto America Superbike Series will now be known as the Auto Part for Less Moto America Series, and the Superbike name will come in and out. But I mean, that'll be AutopartsForLess.com is going to be the title sponsor from this point moving forward to at least the end of 2023. Jay, that shows a lot of growth. Um, I know that for people that are interested, Auto Parts Auto Part. This, I'm going to really struggle with this all year. This is the only thing I'm pissed <laughs> you gotta about. you to get used to it. Oh, dude. Autopartsforless.com is a new, it's a newer website. They are a publicly traded company. Their stock today is trading somewhere in the $1.36 range. But they are like a, a multi-seller, right? Like platform yep. where you can go and look at parts. They just launched the site recently. And so like they do sell on autopartsforless.com. They do have a motorcycle section, <laughs> ATV section, cars, trucks, Great. all that kind of stuff. So cool. So they will be beefing that up over time. But this really is a is a tremendous exercise in tying that brand with Moto America. And you know what? I didn't know AutopartsForLess.com existed until the press release came out yesterday. So so far so good. Now you know it. Now I know it. So well, congratulations. I think again, to them. the thing I love the most is seeing how many of the followers that Moto America has jumping on board, saying that's where they're going to do all their shopping now and. I know mm-hmm. there was a lot of us that started eating the Panera Bread this year, a lot oh, yeah. more because of their sponsorship. So having that loyalty uh, and that kind of thing. But again, it's another great step for Moto America to have that signed on outside the industry too, which I really, really like. Um, so now yeah, it's congratulations to them. Greg, this weekend uh, going, I tried really hard <clears throat> to get back over to Portugal for this weekend. Did you? For no other, re- for no other reason, just to go get back <laughs> over to Portugal. I loved it over there. But they are headed down to the Algarve there in the southern tip of Portugal, one of the most beautiful places you can go if you get the opportunity for the penultimate round, as Greg White likes to call it, of MotoGP. Obviously, Greg, all the action and all the, the as far as MotoGP goes, um, we, haven't, we have our world champion crowned already. Three races to, uh, left or two races to go 
Fabio Quattararo has already wrapped that up. So I guess the big talking point will be what, what, what do we expect out of MotoGP this weekend? There are still some inner battles for placings behind, but <clears throat> I think this is going to be a weekend that is pretty important. I think there's a couple guys that I really look at going into the offseason that I think it's really important for them to have a showing. Jack Miller comes to mind on that one right off the bat. I think it's uh, he's just struggled, Greg. He won a couple races at the you know at the beginning of the year. He gets signed on for next year and really hasn't done a lot since then. And I think that this is going to be a time now where he kind of rode around in a place the last few rounds specifically being a really good teammate. It's really hard to ride like he was riding in the sense of you want to take it to the guys in front of you, but when your teammate's running for a championship, you're, he really took to heart that Ducati's trying to win that world championship. Now he can free-for-all a little bit more and maybe ride a little bit more like we know he can, and hopefully he can put a good result in. Also, I think for Bagnaya, leading as many laps as he led at the last round, I expect him to come out firing. But what do you expect of Quattararo this weekend? All the pressure's off. Do you think he just sends it now? I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. I, I think, yeah, he wants to just send it. But if I'm Yamaha, I'm almost using this as an opportunity to get ahead on on 2022 development if they can. So I don't I don't know if there's a plan in place for that, for him to you know start using parts and testing parts, or if it's just like, yep. okay, whatever. Because I think Fabio has definitely ridden a little tight the last couple of races. You can see it in his riding style and, and the way he's doing things. Yep. So I think all gloves off when it comes to race time, I think it's going to be really good to watch. I agree with you. On the Jack Miller thing, for sure. I also think um, Miguel Oliveira needs to have a good weekend, you know, moving home forward. Race, um, home race. I mean, even Bender, for that matter. I mean, the KTM yeah. worked really well there last year, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think it's time. I mean, you know, KTM's done a great job. They've won races, but it just seems like their progress has stalled out. You know, they just kind of like had a big jump, and and I think that they, they need to kind of move forward and set a good tone heading into the offseason in MotoGP. But ultimately, yeah. what I'm looking what I'm looking at is, you know, without the pressure too, I think Bagnaya has a great weekend. I really do. I think Pecco, I do. I really agree with you. And, uh, but I think Quattararo will too. I think he's going to be hard. The Suzukis have been nowhere. There's a lot of intrigue still in this weekend, so I'm looking forward to it. Greg, when you look at Moto Two and Moto Three, we still have pretty tight championship battles. You want to look at that Moto Two and think that 18 points is a lot. It's really not. Raúl Fernandez has really proven to be pretty dominant, but that crash. That strange, strange crash that we kind of haven't mm. heard any more of, have we? So, which makes me almost feel like it was a technical thing. Not, you know, that's just me speculating. But Raul Fernandez was leading that race there at Mizano, has a big crash. Um, he's 18 points back with two rounds to go. There's enough guys that can get between those two. And and when you look at Remy Gardner, I mean, it was just three rounds ago that we were thinking this guy's going to be the champion. Then he slides off at Coda, and that was that what really hurt him Fernandez went on and won that race put 25 points in his pocket I think that Fernandez has to continue to to pile the pressure on there is every bit of chance that I could see Remy finishing fifth or sixth in a race so with two rounds to go that championships anybody's anybody's that's the thing no. yeah and it just seems like I don't know like like Remy had lost a little bit of momentum you know yeah, at this point of the has, season yeah. but and that's where it's going to stop. But looking at Moto three, though, do you feel like he, do you feel like he rode a little bit careful? Sorry, I mean, do you feel like do you feel like he's been riding a little bit careful? Like you know, Coda, I mean, how, he, can, he, how can you not? I mean, this this yeah. is a huge, you know, it's it's the first time he's been put in this position. So the question is, how do you not? You know, it's 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 Moto GP and Moto two gets a lot of press. You know, not as much as Moto GP, but it does, and people Both are these, talking about it. 
And it, it, the, it, it makes a difference. Even though he's got a signed pressure, contract, it makes a difference. That's my point is this, is it's when you have the pressure, Greg, of, of, okay, what am I going to do next year? Right. What am I going to mm-hmm. do? I got nothing. As opposed to, wow, I've already been signed to MotoGP as has my teammate. Well, now that puts all the emphasis and pressure on one thing, winning the world title, because you have nothing else to think about. And I think it, it Coda was really interesting because he, he ended up sliding back to fifth and sixth. If you remember, he got in a battle with Cam there at the beginning of that race and almost even kind of blamed Cameron for you know, kind of holding him up. And once he got through to second, he was trying to put a push in there to catch uh, Fernandez. And one of those little kind of first gear corners caught him out at Coda. Couldn't get the bike restarted, just handed points away. I mean, legitimately handed 20 points to his teammate right then and there because at worst case, he probably would have finished second that day. Um, but but those points were gone. And then at Mazzano, he just didn't look like he was riding himself. Like he's been the guy that's been setting the pace in qualifying, setting the pace at the start of the races. So let's hope that Remy could kind of get himself back on track this this weekend as well. But like you were getting ready to talk about, the Moto3 championship, Dennis Faggio, has really started to apply that pressure to Acosta. So again, a great Moto3 championship coming down to the wire that Greg, four and five rounds into this championship, you and I were like, well, this kid's going to win the championship. He had 50 points up on the next guy. And I think at one point he had 90 points up on Faggio. Will this be one of the greatest comebacks if Faggio ends wow. up winning this championship? Yes. Don't you think? Right, because, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think <laughs> Johnny Ray's from two years ago, you know, is definitely one of them. The, the points deficit to come back and win a world title. But this particular one, I mean, Faggio right now has got all the momentum. He's got all the swagger. He's got everything going for him. But we have to qualify it and say, eh, but it's Moto3. So it's like anything can happen. We we don't know. It's look, it, you know, it, it, unless you have it wrapped up, it's not done. Greg, I'm going to tell you that, that the one worry about this, this is the kind of thing that goes on and haunts a kid like Acosta if he loses this championship. Oh, this man, is the kind career. of thing where, where you go, I had a world championship in the palm of my hands. What's it down to, Greg? Is it seven points? Uh, eight, no, no, points? no, no, no. What is it? it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, 67 or to, or sorry. That's 60, yeah. Sorry. 34 I, I, to 13. 30, 21. 21 points. 21 points. And again, see, both Moto2 mm-hmm. and Moto3, you can get a lot of people in between. Like, like let's, so you know, it, and especially at these two tracks, the draft is hugely important down the front straight away at Portimao. But you will see pockets of groups uh, there that if you don't get in that right group, you don't get off with the lead group, you're not going to be able to qualify 14th or 13th or 18th and 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 do some of the stuff that we've seen them do. That said, <clears throat> Faggio, I think, qualified like 18th or 15th or 16th at Mazzano, worked his way through everybody and came and won that race. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> it's got to be exciting. By the way, yeah. we do fantasy. There's only two rounds left, but we're still doing it. It's the Greg's Garage pod with Jason Pridmore <laughs> is the league, something like that. I don't even know. I've got to click on leagues, but... It's uh, it's a tight race up top, but at any time during the season, join us. By the way, the the person who wins this fantasy league this year is going to win themselves an Arai helmet, brand new Arai helmet of their choice, which is going to be really cool. And Jay, right now we have a tight battle at top. Daytona eighty five going up against Craigers with Beach Moto making some big moves. Daytona eighty five still with a boost remaining in the top ten. Wow. There's only yep. three of us that have boosts. Myself, who's in eighth, and wow. Globemaster Racing G-Dub. has one. Mm. G-Dub, you, you've impressed me this year with this. You've done well. Yeah, I made, I made a couple couple of 
couple miscues as of late. I mean, I definitely should have been solidly in the top three, but a couple I out I outfunked myself. This week I yeah. have to make a change. You have four riders and a race team or a manufacturer that you pick, and you can only make one change a week. And so my change is already destined because Marquez is out. So yeah, you're, I've got to change him where I would have kept me, him want, if he you, was you want, in. You want me to give you some fantasy advice on who to put on there? Oh, God, do I not? <laughs> no, please. Just stop talking. That'd be great. Thanks. I'm horrendous. So the Battle of the Olds is a talking point again still at Chuckwalla. And now huh? if you go on blind and Cole already being deaf, could it be like Battle, <laughs> Battle of the Olds handicap style or what? Oh. Like what? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I got to get out and ride a motorcycle and see. I got a yeah. little issue with my eyes, people, and or my eye, yeah, but, one hey, eye that's got to hey, be. You working. know, the thing is, is you could nudge uh-huh. Cole a little bit off the track and just say, God, Dave, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you. Hey, you were just do you remember? Kind Ke- of, do you remember Kevin Renzel? You remember Kevin Renzel? Yep. Yep. Old racer. That guy, he used to race when he had. That guy he was, he was legally, he was legally blind and yeah. he used to win races in Weira. Like he was. He, he passed away a couple of years ago. I love Kevin. He was a good dude. And he, yep. he started showing up at races there towards the end. He had a, an he accident. glasses when he rode, man. Dude, I remember him. I mean, yeah. they were they were thick. I mean, yeah. he, he he would say he would just see a flash of light out of the left-hand side and be like, that's the brake marker, and just hit the brakes and turn Got the bike. Turn. So, Got to turn. Yeah. I'm saying no. my my vision issues in my right eye right now might not be a good enough excuse, especially yeah. Chuck Wall. It's kind of wide open. But Battle of the Olds. We'll talk about it. It definitely happens sometime after Christmas. If it's going to happen, I don't know. It I will. might have a Kawasaki ZX6 out of Chuck Wallace sometime this year. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, well see. Let's uh, let's enjoy our weekend. MotoGP this weekend. I, you know what I'm doing? I'm going down to go check out the mini majors, Greg, at Paris. So uh, I'm headed down there to go watch Nate's guys little guys run I, I haven't been home to watch nate's kids race. <laughs> wait, wait 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 you're driving yeah. to socal ah i do chuck wall is one it. thing chuck wall is one oh, thing that's dude, out that's know. out in desert center I hate it more than you're actually driving down to socal I, I told my mom last night i told my mom right now last night i'd rather drive six hours north than drive <laughs> whatever it is two plus hours down uh, there but but it's for a good reason uh my boy nate's kids are both racing this weekend at mini majors. I'm excited. Hey, Greg, I'm a, I'm a sponsor. I got to be there. So I haven't got to be around <laughs> that. So I'm a, I'm going to rip down. I got a little business to do down there as well uh, on the way. And then uh mini majors this, this weekend. So we'll talk to everybody next week. Looking forward to the podcast. All right. And Jay, looking ahead to the calendar, of course, it's MotoGP, AMA national Enduros in Alabama, then a bunch of stuff over in Europe. FIM motocross is in Lombardia. You think that has anything to do with the Lombardos that we know? Maybe you know they come they come <laughs> uh, from maybe, that region. FIMX yeah. Trial World Championships in Andorra. So there you go, Jason. I'm going to tell you something that's going to depress you greatly. But uh, on Friday, mm-hmm. a new Call of Duty Vanguard drops, so I will be glued to Call of Duty, trying to get my ass kicked by 12 year olds for the entire weekend. How's I the, guarantee uh, you that. How's the stationary bicycle doing in your house? Is that doing any good? Can you can you bicycle while you're playing a game? Because then you could, like, yeah. You get like eight hour workouts a day. I'm I'm so bad at that game that probably wouldn't change my gameplay. Mm-hmm. I could probably pedal and just play at the same time. Yeah. Well, why probably. don't you do that? It's a good idea. I'll look into that right away. Yeah, yeah. you do that, G Dub. You hey, you okay. do that. All right, Jason. You have yourself a great weekend then. <laughs> Later, everyone.